Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel of John. We're reading chapter 13, verse 36, through chapter 14, verse 9. Sometimes the chapter divisions in the New Testament are a little bit off, but that's not a big deal. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? If you have seen me, or whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come to consider Jesus, what he said about himself, who he is for us. And as we consider that, I pray that you would open our hearts to see him clearly as he is. I pray that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Well, first of all, Merry Christmas. Thank you. That was good. Uh, here at Christ Church, we, uh, we celebrate Christmas for a couple more weeks, though, that, though December 25th is past. Um, and as we have been... Uh, observing Advent, the season leading up to Christmas, and now for the next couple weeks, we've been considering the famous I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. There are seven of these famous statements where Jesus says in no uncertain terms who he is for us. We've considered his statement, his claim, I am the bread of life. We've considered I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep. And uh, just two nights ago, we considered sort of the omnibus claim that Jesus makes that simply I am he. I am the one. This morning, we come to John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. This is perhaps the clearest of all Jesus' claims in its challenge, in its confrontation, and it's simple truth that there is no other way. In all of the I am statements, Jesus 
is boldly and provocatively claiming for himself the roles and the mission, the very identity of the God of Israel. They're all incredibly bold claims. But this one is perhaps the clearest of them all. That with Jesus, there is no room for fence sitting. That's always uncomfortable anyway. As C.S. Lewis famously put it, when you consider the claims of Jesus, you must either conclude that he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or that he was who he said he was, that he is the Lord. There is no room for fence sitting. Jesus is exclusive. He's not a perspective or a path or a religious option. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You are either with him or against him. And this assaults our modern sense of plurality, of, of possibility, and of options. But we have to face this claim. And while this is a challenge for our modern notions, Jesus did not actually speak this claim to a room full of philosophers. So while we have to face that, I want to also highlight this morning that when Jesus spoke this claim, he spoke it not to a room full of religious pluralists or philosophers, but to a room full of troubled hearts. He spoke it to his disciples on Thursday night before his crucifixion. And so this claim of Jesus serves to bolster his command in this passage, which was this, let not your hearts be troubled. So Jesus's radical claim here about who he is for us is not merely a philosophical idea to be pondered. It is truth that gets deep to the trouble in our hearts. The message this morning is simple, and I'll do my best to not muddle it. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. He is the only way for us, but not just in some abstract sense, but in a deeply personal sense. He is the way ultimately, and he is the way right now in our present trouble and anxiety. And so for a simple message, I wanna ask a simple question. Why is Jesus the only way? In an ultimate and in a very practical sense. And we'll see three things this morning, why Jesus is the only way. First, he's the only way because of his promise. Secondly, because of his preparation. And thirdly, because of his person. First, his promise. Jesus claims that he is the way, and we would naturally ask, as the disciples do, the way to what? There's, of course, a lot of confusion and uncertainty about the Christian destination, the hope that we have, where Jesus is taking us to. So what is the destination that he promises here? Two things we see. In verse 2, chapter 14, verse 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many rooms that Jesus promises that he is going to prepare a place for us in his father's house. And it's helpful to understand a bit of the context, the historical setting in which Jesus used this imagery. Because when he spoke of the father's house and of many rooms in it, he wasn't conjuring up the image of a mansion with a lot of bedrooms. Rather, Jesus was using the image that would have been familiar to his disciples of the wealthy person's estate. It was customary, and again, this is only the experience of the, the elite, the 99 percenters in his day. 
but it was customary that sons, when they got married, would return to their father's property, their father's house, and build a home or a room, as the passage says it, which could also be translated dwelling place for their bride, for their family. So when Jesus speaks of the father's house, he is speaking of really an expansive estate and that Jesus is the son who's going to prepare a place. And again, this is important that that this is only the experience of the, the elite as it still is today. And Jesus spoke this promise to his disciples who were primarily a bunch of fishermen. None of them lived like this. They knew about this kind of living, but they didn't live like this. One commentator, Andres Kostenberger, captures Jesus' point really well. He says, the image used here by Jesus would have conjured up notions of luxurious Greek and Roman villas, replete with numerous terraces and buildings, situated among shady gardens with an abundance of trees and flowing water. And that Jesus thus conveys to his followers a vision of future life that far surpasses that of even the most exalted ruler of his day. Jesus' promised destination is a luxurious place. When the Bible speaks about this elsewhere, it uses the image of a, a new creation or of a garden, the Garden of Eden restored, or of the new Jerusalem, a city coming down from heaven. Listen to what Jesus said in, in the book of Isaiah. And that's right, Jesus spoke in the book of Isaiah. In chapters 11 and 65. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Friends, Jesus' promised destination is, first of all, a luxurious place. It's a new creation. But we have to stay on this a little bit longer because the second thing is that Jesus doesn't just promise a place. He promises a person. The destination is, in fact, a person. In 14.2, in verse 2, he says, he refers to the Father's house where he's taking us. But in verse 3, he says, I will come and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The destination, brothers and sisters, is not just a place, it's a person, it's God himself. And really we know intuitively that the person and the personal takes precedence over the physical in making a place really awesome, luxurious, worth being in. If some of us can remember the experience of falling in love, when you first meet your spouse, I remember before Riley and I got married, going and looking for our first apartment a couple months before our wedding. And I was looking at really tiny places. (laughs) 
I'm not going to like make it sound too awful, but nothing special. And when we found the place, to me, it was 750 square feet of luxury. Because the person matters more than the place. On the negative side of this, there's no shortage of mafia movies that could prove that a luxurious place with awful people makes the place awful. And Jesus' promised destination is not just a luxurious place, it's a person, it's communion with God. That the Son takes us not just to be in the Father's house, but in the Father's house, not as guests, but as sons and daughters. He prepares a place for us, dwelling places that only true sons and daughters can claim. You can't show up there as a guest. Only sons and daughters get to go there. That's the destination Jesus promises. And that's why he's the only way. Because only the eternal son can make a place for adopted sons and daughters. So that's Jesus' promise. That's why he's the only way. But secondly, we see that Jesus is the only way because of his preparation. There's no good in knowing of a great place if you're not sure of actually getting there or of being welcome when you arrive. The harsh reality for us is that we in and of ourselves are not fit for that destination. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says almost exactly what he says here in chapter 13, verse, uh, verse 36, where I am going, you cannot follow me. The Bible is clear about this. We are not fit for the destination. You cannot come to the Father in and of yourself. The Father's presence, in fact, would be unbearable for unpardoned sinners. To stand in the searching light of the holy God and to have our filth revealed. It's not a place we want to go in and of ourselves, and that, but that's the key. We cannot go there if we try to prepare a place for ourselves, but Jesus here says, I am going to prepare a place for you, and only Jesus can prepare the place for us. So how is he preparing the way, the place? Well, it's interesting. I told you there's three places where Jesus says this in John's gospel. Where I'm going, you cannot come. But only here, on the Thursday night before his crucifixion, does Jesus say, where I'm going, you cannot now come, but afterwards, you will follow me. So what's different? What's different now? What's the afterwards? Well, it's kind of curious. Jesus here tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. But if we would have read just a few verses before, we would have read that Jesus' heart in this moment, it was troubled. In chapter 12, 27, verse 27, Jesus himself says, now is my soul troubled. So what's up with that? Is Jesus asking us to do something that he couldn't do? To have untroubled hearts? No, of course not. Jesus is saying here clearly that he is taking our trouble from us. He's taking our trouble upon himself. In this hour, which in the Gospel of John always refers to Jesus' death, Jesus is becoming the trouble bearer. 
He's preparing a way for us to the Father's house by taking all of our filth and unworthiness upon himself. Think about the baby in the manger. The Son of God became homeless that you could have a place in the Father's house. He took that upon himself so that you can stand with his approval as sons and daughters. Jesus is the only way because only the Son can prepare a place for us, can make us worthy of dwelling in the Father's house forever and ever and ever. And we struggle with that, you know? We want to show up claiming that we did it. I prepared the way. Look what I've done. And Jesus clearly says here, he rules that out as an option and says, if you want to come, you come through me. You come through me. And he says, rest in that. You don't have to prepare the place. It's been prepared for you. That's why Jesus is the only way, because he has prepared the way and only he could prepare the way. And finally, we see that Jesus is the only way because of his person. We've spoken of the future, the destination, the promised destination. We've spoken of the past, the preparation through Christ's work. But if we're honest, the future and the past can seem pretty far off. And so what about the present trouble? Many people treat Jesus kind of like a ticket to get them to the destination. And I don't know about you, but I don't treat tickets with much reverence or respect. You know, they're at the airport, they're on my phone, keep them in my pocket, and when I get through the gate, I forget about it, right? Is Jesus just a ticket to get there? No, he is the way for our trouble in the present because of his person, because of who he is. Philip requests something, the disciple Philip, request something in this passage that we all request in trouble. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you had known me, or if you, if you really knew me, then you would know my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip's ears perk up at that. And he says, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. Isn't that what you want in your trouble? What Philip's asking for here is a vacation to the Father's house. Can I just get a little experience of it now to get me through the present trouble? Can I get a little taste of the coming feast of the new creation in our trouble, in our anxiety, to get, to get us through? That would be enough. We all want that, and so we all need to listen closely to what Jesus says here. Jesus answers Philip. I just, I don't know, I imagine he took him by the shoulders, and he said, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Friends, Jesus does not say here that he has pointed out the way. He does not say that he's given us a pattern or a lifestyle and that if we can imitate him well enough that we will get to that destination. 
He says that he is the way. Right now in the present, he is the way because of who he is. Not here is how you rise up to God, but here is God come down to be with you. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. And if we look to him, if we see him, we can see and know the Father. We can experience the love of God right now. Even in this broken, sin-stained creation, even in our sin-stained hearts, we can know the love of the Father if and only if we look to Jesus. And when we ask God for an experience of his love now in the present, without looking to Jesus, we ask for something that God is not going to give. But we also ask for less than what he's given in Jesus. If we look to him, the destination is made present in our hearts. But we struggle. We struggle to believe that. This is almost too good to be true, that there is no God behind the back of Jesus. He is God for us. You know, earlier this year, maybe it was last year, I don't know, but we watched the Netflix show The Crown. The Crown, which is about how the Queen of England becomes the Queen. And early on in the show, uh, it's season one, episode five, uh, she, uh, her, the father, her father, the king, has just died. And Elizabeth goes to, uh, to try on the crown for the first time. And a servant puts it on her head. It's this big old thing. And she stands up and sort of tries to balance it and looks in the mirror. And her kids are there and she says, it's harder than it looks, you know. And then she says to the servant, kind of shyly, do you suppose I could borrow it? Just to practice a bit, just to practice. And the servant is bewildered and he says, borrow it, ma'am. Well, if it isn't yours, whose is it? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is yours now. He is for you now. You can look to him now. We struggle to accept that, but if we look to him, we can experience the love of God now. And of course, you might wonder, well, how can I look at Jesus? Jesus is not here. The disciples did see him. We can't see him. I'm glad you asked how you can do that because Jesus explains it for us. The word he uses here for see is not the normal word for physical seeing. It's a word that refers to perception, to spiritual seeing. It's like what the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. When Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and if you look to me, you see the Father, that's the word he's using. And he explains how to look, because he says, the words that I speak, I don't speak of my own accord or my own authority, but the Father who is in me works through them. It is the words of Jesus through which we can come and see the love of God. We can come and see the Father. And it is only through those words. That's why he's the only way, because he's the son who came down, because he's fully God, God from God, light from light. And when we look to him by looking at his words, we see the Father. Christian, if uh, you've never taken up and read one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John would be a great place to start this afternoon. Take it up and read it. It'll take you about an hour in one sitting. Look at Jesus by looking at his words. And if you, and if you're, you felt like, well, I have been reading. <laughs> I've been trying. 
and I'm not seeing. Well, we could talk about that, but I'll just say this. The disciples looked a long time, and Jesus said to Philip, have I been with you this long, and you still don't know me? So keep looking. Look to Jesus. Look to the Son of God, the Word made flesh. Look to him. Brothers and sisters, come look to him. Come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we stand in awe of your son who came down to earth from heaven, who became homeless as we deserve so that we could have a place in your house forever and who spoke his words so that we could see him. I pray that you would help us to trust what Jesus claims here and to look to him in all of our trouble as the way, the truth, and the life that we long for. Would you help us to see him? We ask in his name. Amen.